Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 9. We're continuing in our year-long study of John's gospel. And as you're finding your place, I received an email this week. And curiously enough, I don't know if this woman fully understood it, but she was asking a question specifically about the very text that we are studying today. Some of you right now, you're experiencing suffering in your life, maybe even physical suffering, chronic injury, ailment, illness, sickness. And if you're not experiencing that, you know or love somebody who is, amen? It's just part of the human condition. And when we are suffering, oftentimes we're also asking some questions of God. Well, these are her questions. This is the email that she sent me. She's from Melbourne, Australia, tunes in online. She says, I have a question about illness and whether there is a spiritual cause. How many of you have had these kinds of questions? She says, we serve in our local church where I lead the worship team. Thank you for doing that. We have two amazing kids, a beautiful home, and both have great careers. She says, life is so very good, except for when it's not. Our three-year-old son has viral-induced asthma. Can you imagine that as a parent? Your kid goes into asthmatic attack. You gotta bring them to the hospital. You could potentially lose them. He's been presented to the emergency and admitted to the hospital nearly 20 times. And throughout autumn and winter, he'll probably be home with asthma once every three weeks. She says he's been in intensive care multiple times. The EMTs have been brought out. If there's a bug or virus going around, he normally gets it. She says they now have an eight month old daughter and it feels as though the past few months we've been plagued with one illness after another. How many of you, that's you? You're sick, your kid's sick, somebody you know her love is sick. There's illness, there's injury, there's suffering, there's chronic physical pain and suffering, and you can't see it coming. She says, when is a physical sickness a symptom of living in a fallen world, and when is there something more to it? We've all asked these questions. And some of you will emotionally identify with her. She says, I've prayed and cried and begged for change, healing, restoration, more than I can count. She says, I grew up in a Pentecostal church with a super spiritual mom, whoop, whoop. Needless to say, I'm somewhat of a reformed Pentecostal, bigger on what the Bible says, rather than just relying and getting distracting on what you feel. My husband's background is Presbyterian. He leans that way. She says, so I struggle with attributing responsibility to a supernatural cause where there is a logical and doctrinally sound explanation. She goes on to say, I've struggled with anxiety, depression for a number of years. Some of this was exacerbated, she says, by postnatal depression after having a kid and the physical symptoms and ailments that come. Here's what she says, and maybe you can identify with her. I don't wanna be a victim, blame demonic attack, or go on a wild goose chase for some spiritual issue that may not be there. On the flip side, I don't want to accept a substandard way of life for our household as though we're living what is not God's intended norm for us. She goes on to quote the Bible, we're children of God, more than conquerors, set free, graciously given life abundantly. Although these days it feels like every time we step up to move forward, we are crushed by another wave. Is it a season or is there a cause? Is that just life with little kids or are we missing something here? And here's the key. She says, I keep coming back to the New Testament story in John 9, where we find ourselves today. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Neither, it was so that the works of God could be displayed in him. And she said, uh, any thoughts are appreciated and um, thank you for your question. How many of you are suffering today or maybe even physically suffering? How many of you know, love someone who is suffering, physically suffering? And you've wondered, God, what are you doing? Why do you allow this? Did you cause this? Do I deserve this? How can we fix this? These are the kind of questions that we're prone to answer, particularly when physical pain and suffering and injury and ailment come. 
Curiously, in John chapter 9 today, we find ourselves seeing Jesus deal with a man who has a chronic problem. He was, in fact, born blind. And how does Jesus speak to him and how does Jesus minister to him? And uh, the first question is, why do we suffer? We've all asked that question. Why is there suffering in this world? As he passed by, so here is the Lord Jesus, the day is the Sabbath, the location or scene is the temple, the holiest place on earth where God's people are coming to worship. They saw a man blind from birth. So let us just emotionally, practically for a moment, pause and consider this man's life. Born blind, he has never seen a sunset or a sunrise. He's never seen the face of his mom. This is a man who, Many would have regarded him as cursed of God. Maybe he is a bad man or comes from a bad family. So he was outcast and ostracized. This is a man who could not go to school. He was likely uneducated. This is a man who could not work for himself. He could not marry and have children. He could not sustain a household. Some of you men know how humiliating it is when you can't take care of yourself or provide for yourself and you're a beggar who is absolutely dependent on the provision of others. That's where he finds himself. He is a beggar. He is a lonely, outcast, rejected man begging for his survival. And they're walking by and Jesus' disciples ask him something that is a bit cruel. He's blind, but he's not deaf. He can't hear. Some of you have chronic Ill, illness, injury, ailment, and people will say things that are not helpful and they're not gracious and they're not very encouraging. And this was very common for this man. The disciples ask Jesus, they call him rabbi, which means Lord. They give two options. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? How many of you don't like those options? Well, is he bad or his family bad? Those are bad options. You ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. They only leave this series of options. Is he a bad guy or his family a bad family? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned. The issue is not sin. He is a sinner, but this issue is not a direct correlation or causation from sin or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him or that he might have an opportunity to glorify God in a particularly unique way. He goes on to say, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am in the light of the world. When it comes to our suffering, there tends to be two proclivities that we take in regards to our answers, either karma or kingdom. The natural default is for people to think in terms of karma. Karma is this, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, bad thing happened to you, you must be a, a bad person. Bad person, that's their answer. And if you're not a bad person, you come from a bad family. So either you or your family are bad. In Eastern religions that tend to think in terms of karma, there is actually not a lot of compassion or empathy for those who are suffering. Because if you're a bad person who did a bad thing and you're suffering, it's to pay back your karmic debt. Therefore, I cannot involve myself in your suffering to help alleviate it because I would negate your ability to pay back your karmic debt. So we let people suffer and we don't help them, love them or serve them because to do so would be an injustice toward them. These people know the Old Testament and you can be someone who even professes to know God and have a bit of biblical insight, but you can think in terms of karma. But how many of us have not made this error? Something bad happens, you say, well, I wonder what they did to deserve that. That's thinking in terms of karma. They come to Jesus and they think in terms of karma. Is he a bad guy or did he come from a bad family? Jesus says the issue is not sin, 
The issue is suffering. The kingdom of God gives us, the word of God gives us some different potential causations. Um, First, it could be his sin. Maybe, how many of us, don't raise your hand, but you've made some lifestyle choices that have affected your health negatively. Right? You're like, I didn't eat well, I'm sick. I drank too much, my liver went on vacation. Right? It's not going well for me because of some lifestyle choices. It is possible to sin and as a result, experience suffering. Is his suffering the result of his sinning? No. It says that he was blind from birth. It's hard to imagine that he did something so wicked in his mother's womb that he needs to be blind for the rest of his life to pay God back. And Jesus said, the issue is not sin. Sometimes it is family sin. Maybe his mom drank and maybe his mom did drugs. Maybe his dad was an angry, violent guy and pushed mom down the stairs during the pregnancy. And as a result, he's born blind. But Jesus says, that's not the case. A third potential causation is you just live in a fallen world. They don't give any of these other categories of possibility consideration. But we just live in a broken, fallen world. Nothing is the way that it's supposed to be. When God was done, he said, everything was good, very good. God is the living God. Everyone and everything is very alive. Sin enters the world and everything is corrupted, infected, and destructed by sin. We just live in a broken world. How many of you know this? Things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. Your body included. Number four, sometimes it's demonic attack. Sometimes someone is suffering not because they're ungodly, but because they're godly. There's a story of a man in the Old Testament named Job. It opens in Job chapter one, verse one, saying that he was a righteous man, loved God, walked with God. He was a godly, great, good man. And his life was filled with tremendous suffering. His children die, his wealth is taken, his family is destroyed, um, his income is devastated, his flocks are absolutely decimated. He in fact breaks out with a, a series of boils and sufferings on his own body. His friends show up and they ask, well, what sin did you commit? And the answer is, I'm not a perfect man. This is a summation of Job's defense, but I can't think of cause effect that I did something that would be a corollary toward this. Job, we learn as we read the long story, he is not suffering because he's an ungodly man. He's suffering because he's a godly man. That Satan is attacking him and destroying him and harming him, that ultimately it's demonic attack. Sometimes it's not just the bad people who suffer, it's the best people who suffer. And the Lord Jesus suffers and it's not because of his ungodliness, it's because he's God. The fifth potential category of reasoning for this man's suffering is maybe he's just a victim. Sometimes you suffer not because of what you do, but because of what someone else has done to you. Some of you, that's your story. You truly and really are a victim. Drunk driver runs the red light, plows into the minivan, hurts the mom. She's the victim. She didn't sin, someone else did. They don't even consider the fact that perhaps this man was a victim who needed compassion. And let me just say this, sometimes category six, suffering, particularly physical human suffering is just mysterious. You don't know. Right? Paul asked this question in the New Testament. He asked, who has known the mind of the Lord? And the answer is, not me. There are times when as a pastor, and I love you, people will come up to myself or other leaders in the church and they'll ask this question. Why? Why did this happen? Why? And the answer oftentimes is, I don't know. We live by faith, not by sight. 
there are a lot of things that simply we do not see until we see Jesus again. Oftentimes, it is just a mystery. Now, these people, they think only in two categories. Good things happen to good thing, people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to him. He must be a bad person. No, there are some other biblical considerations because the kingdom of God is far more compassionate than karma. And that's where the Bible uses the language of grace. So let me distinguish this. Some people are bad. Some people are just broken. Is he a bad man? He's a sinner. He's not perfect, but he, he's not a bad man. He's a broken man. The issue is not sin, it's just suffering. Some of you need to understand that there are people in the world who are bad. They think bad thoughts, they have bad desires, they speak bad words, they do bad deeds. There are some bad people. Some people are just broken. Life has been hard, things have happened, it's a mystery. They're not fully aware or understanding of why. Why did my kid walk away from the Lord? Why do I have cancer? Why did my spouse run off on me? Why did I lose my job? Right? I, I, I try to live a healthy lifestyle. Why is it that now I'm the one battling for my life? Why do I wake up every morning in chronic suffering and pain? Why do the friends that I invest in betray me? Why? Why did the family that raised me disown me? Why? Why? And what I love here is Jesus says, he's not bad, he's broken. Because all they think in terms of is sin. And let me say this, the Bible does talk about sin. We're all sinners. We need forgiveness of sin and a savior. And it is a sin if I don't tell you about sin. But to be biblical, we need to talk about all that the Bible says, not just some of what the Bible says. When I was first training for the ministry and getting ready to preach God's word as a young man, more than 20 years ago, I read a book and it was a popular and otherwise a helpful book, but it said in every sermon, find the sin, focus on the sin, hammer the sin, call the people to repent of the sin. But sometimes the issue is not sin, it's just suffering. Sometimes the people aren't bad, they're just broken. Sometimes what they don't need is to do more introspection of what caused their pain to instead focus on God who comes to comfort them and heal them emotionally in the midst of their grief. How many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about? How many of you have been in a season of suffering and religious people came to you and they were not helpful? They didn't allow you to be broken. They determined that you were bad and they kept pressing you to determine how you were bad and they weren't able to comfort you in your space of being broken. This is where Jesus is better and different than religion. And what happens is when we are suffering, we tend to ask this question, why? God, why? God, why? Here's a better question. God, how? God, how can I use my suffering to glorify, to honor you? Jesus here redirects the conversation. They ask the why question, why? He says, it's not the why, it's the how. What he says is this, that the works of God might be displayed in him, that there is a unique opportunity through your suffering, not to waste it, but to invest it to the glory of God and to use it as part of your witness and ministry. And I was thinking about it. There are probably more categories, but I came up with four. How can you glorify God in your suffering? How can you help someone who is suffering glorify God in their suffering? Number one, if it is a result of sin, you can repent of that. You can say, I've made some lifestyle choices that have caused me grief and pain. Jesus died to forgive me. 
I need to make some lifestyle adjustments and stop making those kinds of lifestyle decisions. That glorifies God. That glorifies God. It starts to bring hope and health and healing into your life. Number two, it could be a testimony to believers. How many of you have seen someone who really deeply, truly does love God and through their suffering, you saw their faith was revealed in the hardest seasons. And as a result, it really encouraged you. You're like, I thought they loved God. When I saw them go through that and they ran to God rather than from God, they pressed into God rather than rejected God. The result was they encouraged me. They inspired me. My faith grew by borrowing their faith, seeing their faith carry them through their suffering. Some of you right now, you need to know this. This is a wonderful, loving, healthy, joyful church family. You are very easy people to love. Thank you for that. You make my job really easy. And there are some people in this church, even as we've been together for this short season that have already gone through incredible difficulty. And they have done so with character, integrity, honesty, humility. And as a result, they have helped the rest of us learn from their example. Okay, you're a gift. You're a gift. Third category, it can be a witness to unbelievers. Non-Christians are watching, right? And when hard times come, the question is, how is your witness? Are you cursing God or trusting God? Are you running from God or running to God? Are you rejecting God because you get, did not get what you want? Or are you running to God because he is ultimately who you want? And non-Christians sometimes are more compelled by the life of a struggling, suffering believer. And they realize their relationship is real, their God is real, and that real relationship with their real God really sustained them. I want to know their God and I want to walk in that faith. And number four, it is an opportunity to glorify God by using it for ministry to comfort others. Um, I love you, I'm your pastor, but let me point something out that sometimes suffering people are selfish people. How do I know that? I've suffered and been selfish. I'll use myself as a negative example. Let's say something is going on in my life that is overwhelming. In my eyes, it is catastrophic, cataclysmic. I want others to stop everything they're doing and to experience what I'm experiencing. And suddenly I want myself to be the center of everyone's universe because I'm suffering. Sometimes suffering people can be selfish people. And one of the ways we glorify God is we be honest about our suffering and our struggles and our strife, but we seek opportunities to learn what we are learning to minister to others who are experiencing what we're experiencing. The Bible calls this comforting others with the comfort we've received. If you've had a child die, you are in a unique position to help someone who has lost a child. If you have an ongoing chronic ailment or illness, you're in a unique position to minister to someone who is experiencing what you're experiencing. If your family has battled, battled through a cancer scare, you are in a unique position to walk with someone who is in the middle of that fight. If your spouse abandoned you and your marriage covenant dissolved, you're in a unique position to comfort, encourage, give hope, help and healing to someone who is in the process of that similar suffering and struggling. If your child has walked away from the Lord, you are able to comfort someone and walk with someone and instruct someone and help someone and befriend someone who is in that same season of suffering, struggle, and strife. I love you. I don't want you to deny, diminish your suffering. I don't want you to be discouraged in your suffering. Sometimes asking the why question doesn't help. The better question is the how question. 
How can I learn more about Jesus who suffered for me? How can I become more like Jesus by suffering in relationship with him? How can I comfort and minister to others who are suffering as he ministers and comforts me? Amen? So the whole conversation changes. And the story here then proceeds forward and continues. We learn that Jesus rules over suffering, starting in John chapter 9, verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. How many of you didn't see that coming? A lot of men love this verse. There's like, Jesus spit. I knew I could do this. This is biblical. A lot of you guys would be like, like Jesus. Okay, um, new life verse for a lot of the men, right? He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went, washed, came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, they're all confused. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Is it the same guy, different guy? What happened? Was he faking it? Is he healed? What's the deal? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, it is, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man, I'm the guy. I was blind, now I see. It's part of his testimony. Your ministry begins by just sharing what God has done in your life. That's where you start, okay? Um, he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how do we know your eyes were open? They don't fully believe in the healing and the miracle. It's amazing. Even sometimes Christians will doubt or disbelieve that God can still heal somebody. I've heard reports and seen situations where churches that I know with pastors that I admire have had people healed and then critics come along and say, no, oh, that's a false healing. That didn't really happen. Like they're against healing. Who's against healing? Like if God wants to heal, I'm yes. I'm, it's a lot better than deductibles and copays. I like healing. And if God wants to heal, the answer is we vote yes but they're disbelieving and they're doubting and they're discouraging. Then they, they ask him, well, who opened your eyes? He said, well, this guy named Jesus, he made mud, he stuck it in my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. It's kind of mean to ask the blind guy, right? I mean, it really like, we'd like an eyewitness testimony. Where did Jesus go? He's like, I was blind, so I don't know. Like, it's kind of mean to ask. It's just kind of mean to ask. I haven't seen anybody ever, so I don't have a lot to report. So what this is, this is the beginning of the unveiling of Jesus as king in the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 61, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, the promise and prophecy was given that when he comes, he will give sight to the blind. This, having mic problems, I don't know why we're having problems. We have the best Fisher-Price mic that money can buy. I'll use this one. Um, and so what happens is in Isaiah 61, the prophecy is given that when the Messiah, the Savior, the King comes with the kingdom, that ultimately he will open the eyes of the blind. So Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter four, where he begins his public ministry. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news, to set captives free and to bring sight to the blind. So they would know that the King is here and the kingdom has arrived when blind people see. Question, how many blind people, people that were blind from birth were healed in the Old Testament? Answer, zero. So when Jesus shows up and he heals the blind, he does something that is unique, that is supernatural, that is unexpected. And he heals a man born blind. This is Jesus' favorite miracle. More miracles of his are recorded in the four gospels regarding him healing someone from perennial blindness than any other miracle. So it's significant. Now, let me look at the man, the religious leaders, Jesus. 
and how God works. First of all, the man, let me ask you this question. Was he healed before or after his obedience? Okay, Jesus told him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. Were his eyes washed before, excuse me, was his sight restored before or after he obeyed and washed his eyes? After. Some of you, God has spoken to you through his word or through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's told you to do something and you're thinking, God, bless me. And he's like, obey me. No, God, bless me. Obey me. Sometimes the blessing follows the obedience. So God tells this man, go to the pool and wash. That is an act of faith. And he's got a little work to do, amen? I mean, he's a blind guy. Go find the pool of Siloam. All right, um, this is a little inconvenient, but okay, we'll do this. Get there, wash his eyes. Oh, it worked. I was blind, now I could see. And the first thing he sees is his own reflection in the water. The man has faith until he has sight. That's the way the Christian life works. You have faith until you have sight. You trust God and what he is saying until you see God and what he is doing. How about, in addition to the man, the religious leaders? Well, they have a problem because they can't distinguish between their rules and God's laws. This is how we get religious. God has laws. God's laws are for all people, times, and places. We have rules that are for us, but we cannot elevate them to the same category as God's laws. For example, some of you believe in recycling, some of you don't. Some of you believe in carrying a gun because you're in Arizona. And some of you moved here from California and you don't believe in carrying a gun, right? We all have different opinions. That was political and inappropriate. We've only begun. Okay, now how about this one? Some of you come to your house, you're like, take your shoes off. Others of you keep your shoes on. We've all got rules, amen? We've all got rules. Some of you are vegetarians. Some of you are not. Some of you believe in recycling. Some of you do not, right? We all have our rules. And what we tend to think is our rules are the right way, but we need to distinguish between our rules and God's laws. So God had laws, obey the Sabbath, keep it holy. It's a Saturday, six days God worked, seventh day God rested. Following the pattern of creation, God commands, take a day off, call it a Sabbath, no working. In addition to God's laws, they added their rules. One of them was no healing on the Sabbath. Another one was um, no doing work on the Sabbath, which would include kneading, spitting on the ground and making mud. That would be kneading, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, public school, hope I got it right. Uh, so the third thing that they made a rule about was there's no traveling over a certain distance and in encouraging or instructing this man to walk to the pool of Siloam. Jesus is probably breaking at least three of their rules. Does he break any of God's laws, yes or no? No, but he does break their rules. They can't see a difference between God's laws and their rules. So they punish Jesus. They oppose Jesus. They criticize Jesus. Some of you are religious. I didn't have this in my notes, but I feel inclined to say it. Some of you parents need to be careful to distinguish between your rules and God's laws. And all the children said, amen. Okay. Um, that sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes we want our rules to be alongside of God's laws because we hold them to be that important. Our rules matter, but God's laws matter more. And that's what religion does. It adds to God's word by adding to God's laws. I think it's Proverbs 35 and six, God says, do not add to my word or I will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. They're adding to God's word by elevating their rules to the position of God's laws. 
So the man, he has faith and then sight, obedience and then blessing. The religious leaders have a problem because they take themselves too seriously. They don't take God seriously enough. And here is Jesus. Let me just tell you this, Jesus is picking a fight. Some of you, you've heard this. Jesus is the most tolerant, loving person that's ever lived. He never offended anyone. There was no microaggression. Uh, he was always a safe space, that he never offended anyone. And he was as kind, pleasant, as easygoing, as sweet as could possibly be. Let me tell you, Jesus offended people and he still does. Because he doesn't just heal on the Sabbath. He does it, I read in the gospels, seven times. He could heal on a Tuesday. Why doesn't he heal on a Tuesday? Because it won't be as offensive. It's, it's Sabbath day. And so he's like, hey boys, get up. And they're like, it's the Sabbath, Jesus. Well, what are we doing? We're gonna heal again. Every time we heal, why can't we heal on a Tuesday? Because the religious people would not freak out. So we do it on a Saturday. Sometimes God offends us so that he can reveal to us that we have a position or a perspective of him that is inaccurate and needs to change. And so Jesus is picking a fight. He heals on the Sabbath seven times and he works by putting spit on the ground and making it into mud. He also tells the man to travel. He's violating lots of their rules. He is in fact picking a fight. And let me tell you this about God. Sometimes God works in weird ways. How many of you know that your savior is not like Spock? How many of you have realized that? You've been a Christian for a while. Spock only does what is logical. Does God always do what is logical? No, he saved me. He does crazy stuff, right? God works in weird ways. Because just think about this. We read this. How many of you went to Bible college, seminary? You've been a Christian for a while. You've been an inducted Bible study. You've been trained in ministry. How many of you didn't take this class? How to heal a man. Number one, drink a lot of milk. So you have a big loogie. And then spit on the ground until it's good and wet. Then grab the dirt, put it together in mud and shove it in the blind guy's eye. Don't worry, he won't see it coming. He won't even flinch. I didn't get this class in seminary how to spit, make mud and shove it in the blind guy's eye. And then tell the guy, hey, blind guy, go find the pool of Siloam. It's weird, right? True or false, it's weird. It's weird, God does weird stuff. God does, he talks in the Old Testament through a burning bush and a donkey. Some of you are like, he's still doing that today at the Trinity Church. I know, not the bush part, but the donkey. He does, God works in weird ways. He just, right in the Old Testament, he wants Elijah. So he sends a flaming chariot, best first class ticket ever. There goes Elijah, right? A couple of older barren elderly women have babies. God decides to come through a teenage virgin. God works in weird ways. How many of you have seen that in your life? You look back, you're like, that was weird. And it worked, thanks Lord, that was weird. Why does God work in weird ways? So that we live by faith, so that we trust him. We're like, God, do you know what you're doing? He's like, I do. I don't see what you see. I don't know what you know. I wouldn't do it the way you're doing it. God's like, that's why you got to trust me. This is to grow your faith. This is to grow your faith. God works in weird ways to grow our faith. This man has to trust Jesus. I mean, what are the odds that a, a total stranger sticking mud in your eye is going to fix your lifelong chronic health problem? Does he believe it's true? He does. He gets up and he does what Jesus says and he receives what Jesus gives. How many of you think at this point, there should be a cake, party favors, a kazoo. We should go get his parents. Somebody should whack a pinata. I mean, this should be a party, amen? Nope, nope. 
Oh, here come the religious leaders. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now this guy, he just got to see. And who's he get to see? The religious leaders. Oh, here they are. They got their clipboard. They got their shirt tucked in their dockers. They got their Coke bottle glasses. They got their checklist. Was it on a Saturday? Oh, that's a violation. This is like the IRS, right? This is, oh gosh, here they come. Let me tell you this about religious people. They're no fun. They're just no fun at all. They're no fun at all. So they're gonna interrogate and investigate them. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Oh, we see multiple violations. These are, there are this is a real situation. The committee is not gonna be happy about this, right? So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, uh, he made mud, stuck it in my eye, and now I see your ugly faces. That's my translation. But um, he just tells them what happened. He's like, I don't know, mud, sight. That's all I got. Let me just tell you this. All you gotta do is just tell what Jesus has done in your life. That's it. You don't need to know a lot, just tell people what he's done. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes, I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Jesus violated one of our rules. He must be an ungodly man. He's not from God. In fact, he is God. Some of you think, man, if God showed up, then I'd believe in him. God showed up and a lot of people didn't believe in him. Well, if God would do a miracle in my life, I'd believe him. Jesus did a ton of miracles and people didn't believe in him. You know why? Because he can do something and you can close your eyes. This man was blind. The religious leaders were not blind, but spiritually speaking, they intentionally closed their eyes. I don't see who Jesus is. I don't see what Jesus does. This is a hardness of heart. This is an unwillingness of spirit. Some of you, your problem is not that Jesus hasn't showed up, is that you are not dealing with reality and you're not being honest and acting in integrity. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Nobody in the Old Testament ever got healed of blindness. How do you explain this? So there is a debate and there was a division among them. So then they said again to the blind man, what do you say about this? Testify, give us your account since he has opened your eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. That would have been for him probably the highest honor that he could think of. He doesn't yet fully know who Jesus is, but he has a respect and an honor for Jesus. Even our Muslim friends would say he is a prophet, but it doesn't end there. Eventually he's gonna call him Lord. The religious leaders say he is a sinner. He is a problem. Some of you would say that. This man says he's a prophet. He's a holy man of God, but he's not God become man. Ultimately, he's gonna confess that Jesus is Lord and that's the right answer. The story continues. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind. You believe that? Now all of a sudden here comes the PR campaign. He wasn't blind. He was faking it for his whole life. This was all a setup. I mean, this is, can't you just see the reporter there? Not to get political, but just for a minute, like, here we are, Tom. This, we have a, tell us, he was not blind. He's a faker. Oh, news at seven, fake blind guy. Right? What they're trying to do is they're trying to denounce and renounce the very works of God. Until they called the parents. So then they call the parents in. Go knock on the door. Hi, we're here with the media. We hear that your son was blind and now sees. This mic has come in very handy all of a sudden. Um, is it your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. 
They're treading carefully. And that he was born blind, but how he sees, we don't know. Right? They're out. One, two, three, not it. They're scared. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. (laughs) You see this? They're like, well, this looks like trouble. Good luck with that. His parents said these things because they feared the religious leaders, for they had already agreed, if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's out of age. Let me say this. In your life, relationally, there are three kinds of people. So it is in the life of Jesus. There are people that are negative toward you. Some of you have people that are negative. It doesn't matter what you say or do. They will spin it, twist it, use it to attack you. Hey, I was nice to you. Well, you did that to manipulate me. Oh, okay, well, then I'll be mean. See, because you're a mean person. Okay, I see how this works. I gave you 10 bucks. You're like, I wanted 20. Okay, here's 20. Well, now you're just trying to take advantage of my trust so that you can abuse me again. Okay, fine, give me the 20 bucks back, right? It, there are people that it doesn't matter what you say or do, they're negative. They're gonna interpret all of the data negatively and they're gonna use it against you. Who is in this story negative against Jesus? The religious leaders. The religious leaders. Everything he says and does, they use it to attack and oppose and malign him. They say that he is a man, not from God. And in a moment, they're gonna call him a sinner. They're negative. There are also people in your life that are neutral. If it benefits them, they're your friend. If it doesn't benefit them, they're your former friend, right? In certain situations, we're like, yeah, I know Tony, he's a great guy. Other situations, like, Tony, I never heard of him. Oh yeah, he's a real jerk. It all depends on whether or not it benefits them. These are neutral people that can be swayed. Who in the story is neutral? The parents, because they feared that they would be kicked out. What this means is they'd be kicked out of their religion. They'd be kicked out of the synagogue. The religious leaders would say that they were destined for hell and they'd lost their eternal ticket to heaven. They would lose their job. They would lose their status. And what they're looking at, these parents are torn. They're like, our son is healed, yay. It might not benefit us, Uh uh-oh. We're really glad that now they're not saying we're a wicked family, uh, but they may really harm or hurt us and our income. Therefore, we will remain neutral. Some of you have the same experience at work. Oh, those Christians are like, I'm just gonna stay quiet. Not gonna lean over the plate and take one for Team Jesus here because my performance review is coming up. Some of you with your family, your family is a disaster. It's a dumpster fire. It's a prison riot. It's, It's a mushroom cloud. And they're like, what do you think I should do? And the answer is, You need Jesus, but you don't say that because they don't wanna hear that and you don't wanna deal with that. Fear will keep you from ministering to the people who need it the most. Fear will keep you from helping the people who need it the most. You can either love people or fear people. And if you fear people, you won't be loving them. If you fear God, you can love people. If you fear people, you have a hard time loving God. They are neutral and it is sad and unfortunate. Who in the story is positive? There are people in your life that are positive. They love you no matter what you do. They're for you and with you. They're gonna hang in there till the end. They're your friend. Who in the story is positive toward Jesus? The man who was blind. The man who was blind. Um, the, The amazing thing with this man, he does not know much, but he trusts much. 
It's not how much you know about Jesus, but how much you trust what you know about Jesus. This guy's, he's probably not formally educated. He doesn't have much understanding. He's just met Jesus and experienced him briefly, but he trusts in the beginning of that relationship and he grows and nurtures that relationship. Let me ask you, when it comes to Jesus, are you negative? Are you neutral? Or are you positive toward Jesus? Okay, positive toward Jesus. And I was thinking about it this week. This man who was blind and a beggar may have come into a right relationship with Jesus for the very reason that he was used to receiving free gifts. His whole life, he couldn't go to work. He was a beggar. Why is he at the temple on the Sabbath? Because that's when all the religious people are going to quote unquote church. And maybe if he's sitting there, they'll be generous toward him. Everything he has ever had, he has never earned. He has only received. He is defined as a beggar. Let me tell you this. Sometimes the hardest obstacle for people to receive Jesus is simply that they need to receive Jesus. God, what do you want me to do? No, you don't do anything to be saved. Jesus died for your sins and rose as your savior. Well, how do I participate? You don't. Well, what do I do, God? Beggar, receive. It's a gift. Well, how do I pay you back? No, that's karma, not kingdom. Well, God, where's my part to play? No, you're the beggar. We don't come to God with our hands full to give him. We come to God with our hands empty to receive him. The reason I believe that this man was so quick to become a Christian, and you'll see that he does in a moment, is because he is humbly willing to accept his position as a beggar you know what? You need God. You need forgiveness of sin. You need God's grace and love and mercy and instruction and correction and direction. You need eternal life. You need hope, help, and healing. His name is Jesus, and he is willing to give himself to you, but you need to be humble enough to come to him with your hands empty to receive the gift that he gives. Amen? The Bible calls that grace. The story continues. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. So he's got to come in again. They said to him, give glory to God, like he wasn't. Like Jesus healed me. And I said, yay. And they said, well, now it's time you need to glorify God. We know that this man is a, a sinner. Our culture tends not to have the kind of courage to call Jesus bad. They just call Christianity bad, which is following in the teachings of Christ. These people look at it and they say, we're good. Jesus is bad. Glorify God, join us, oppose him. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. Like, he spit in my eye. I haven't seen him since. I don't know a lot. One thing I do know, and I'm kind of liking this, I was blind, now I see. I don't know a lot, but that's good. I was blind, now I see. That I know. And you guys have walked by every day my whole life and nobody ever healed me of blindness. So whoever he is, I, I'm kind of excited about him. Some people come to Christ through persuasion, some through power. This man, he's not getting all of his questions answered, but he's getting his needs met. And as a result, he really loves Jesus. How many of you, God showed up in your life in power. You're like, he did something. And I'll tell you, I know who Jesus is because he made a difference. That's how I know he's alive and well. Um, they go on, they said to him, what, 
did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. I saw the guy with the clipboard taking notes. You guys already know how this goes. You would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's got a little sauciness. I like him. He's like, oh, you guys want to join Team Jesus? You guys want to follow him? Let's sign up and let's all take his Sunday school class. He's got a little attitude. I like that. Then they reviled him. They hate him. They're angry. They're mean. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Well, Moses was pointing to Jesus. And if they really were disciples of Moses, they would love Jesus whom Moses revealed. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Here's what they're saying. We're biblical. Are they? Just because somebody has a Bible doesn't mean they're biblical. They're only biblical if they open the Bible and follow Jesus. They're only biblical if they open the Bible and love Jesus. They're only biblical if they open the Bible and receive Jesus. These guys have a Bible, but they're not biblical. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. Don't you like him? He's got a little personality. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. Isn't this crazy? We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. I know you like the Old Testament, zero blind guys got healed. Jesus showed up, Shazam, Bazinga, Kawabunga, I see your ugly mug. How do you explain that? I like this guy. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. They go after his mom and his dad. And what you teach us, and they cast him out. <laughs> you know what's so weird? They kind of did him a favor, amen? It's like, you can't be in our group. It'd be like, promise? Can I get that right, written down? Don't, don't break my heart and bring me back. Don't tease me. This is where religion works through fear, intimidation, and coercion, not through love, relationship, and joy. You need to do what we say and say what we want to hear, or we're gonna kick you out. It's like, I don't wanna join your group. You guys are no fun. I just, I was blind. I would like to go see something and you keep arguing with me. I wanna see the sunset. I wanna see my mom's face, right? I wanna go look my dad in the eye and tell him that I love him. And instead, you guys just want to argue with me. We waste a lot of time arguing with people over things that really don't matter and diverting people's attention from the God who comes to help them. And what's interesting, the same God who made the physical world made the spiritual world, so there are corollaries and parallels between what is in the visible world and what's in the invisible world. And sometimes the Bible will use uh, blindness as a synonym for sin. I wrote a couple of things down. Both sin and blindness are an incurable condition apart from a miracle. Because of sin and blindness, we cannot see God clearly. We cannot see ourselves clearly. We cannot see others clearly. These religious leaders, they have physical sight, but they have spiritual blindness. They don't see Jesus. They don't see this man. They don't see themselves. They too need a healing. They need a miracle. They need a supernatural work of God. And here's what Jesus says later, that religion is the blind leading the, the blind. 
Religion, spirituality, morality, if it is not following Jesus, it is the blind leading the blind. And these are blind leaders because they are not following Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's ever walked the earth that is fully, totally, truthfully, not blind or with any blind spots. And the key is to follow him. And if you're following anyone other than him or anyone who is not following him, you are a blind person following the blind. That's what Jesus says. Now, that being said, let's be honest and say that we all have blind spots. Amen? Some of you are like, I don't. Ask your spouse and you'll agree with me. We all have blind spots. There are things in our life, our decision-making, our disposition and our character that we don't see are a problem and causing us pain and hindering our relationship with God and others. We just think that's my personality. That's my temperament. It's not a big deal. I disagree with you. Every one of us has blind spots in our life. The question is not who is blind and who is not blind. The question is who is blind and acknowledges it, who is blind and denies it. This man knows that he is physically and spiritually blind and he invites Jesus to heal both. The religious leaders are able to have physical sight, but they are spiritually blind and they deny the fact that they have any blind spots and their big blind spot is Jesus. We've all got blind spots. You drove here in a car, amen? Your car's got a... A blind spot, every car does. My mom just went and bought a car. Her and my dad were down visiting and they went and test drove a car and I was talking to my mom and she's like, Marky, she still calls me Marky. And uh, Marky, yeah, I just wanna find a car that doesn't have a lot of blind spots. You know what? Life is like your car. We've all got a blind spot somewhere that we need to pay special attention and careful devotion toward. And there are two errors that can happen. One is, because you know you got blind spots, you listen to everybody. Some of you do that. You're like, I know I make mistakes. I know I'm faulty. I know I'm flawed. Anybody who corrects me or instructs me or directs me, I listen to them. Don't do that. You can't listen to everybody, amen? Not every, because other people, they're not always, not everybody has good, accurate sight into the optics of your life. Some of you, you're more like these religious leaders. They won't listen to anybody. Jesus shows up and says, that's a blind spot. And they're like, nope, nope, not a problem. The key is to have wise counsel, godly people, people who love God, love you, and welcome them to speak into your life and to help expose your blind spots. And when they speak, don't say, I disagree. I don't see that. Say, you love me. I need to trust you to see what I don't see. That's what this man does with Jesus. I was thinking of it in this way. I was at the grocery store recently with Grace and I saw... I saw the most beautiful couple. They were really old, like maybe in their 80s plus. It seemed evident to me that she had recently lost her sight. She had big glasses on, but under them she had big patches over both eyes. And the way that she was walking at the grocery store, you could tell that this was very new for her. She was very uncertain, very unstable, very scared, if I could use that language walking with her carefully, attentively, presently was her husband. He had her arm under his arm and with his other hand, he held her hand. I remember seeing it, I thought, Lord Jesus, let me be a guy like that. And he is carefully, attentively walking his blind wife through the grocery store. And then he would whisper in her ear, not to shame her, but to just communicate with her. 
I don't know what was said. And then she would speak and she'd be like, get the cornflakes. So we'd hold her hand, put it in the cart. Okay, babe. And then they would walk together and he would walk her, get the milk. Okay, the milk's in the cart, sweetheart. And I thought to walk with Jesus is to walk like that. Jesus is loving, he's compassionate, he's relational, he's present. When the Bible says that he's like a groom and the church is like a bride, Jesus is like, you don't see where you're going, so just walk with me. You don't see what needs to happen, trust me. Some of you need to understand how good Jesus is and that walking away from him or walking apart from him is walking in darkness. It's walking in danger. Ultimately, it's walking in death. He wants to walk with you. And by acknowledging, Jesus, I don't know where I'm going. Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of blind here. That allows us to be in a posture to follow him and to walk with him. That's what this man does. That's what God wants you to do. What happens then, this man has not seen Jesus since his eyes were opened, so he has actually never seen Jesus. And that all changes in the last section. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Hey, Jesus, you know the guy you healed? Yep, they kicked him out. Why? Because he said you healed him. And having what? Found him. I want you to see this, friends. Everybody rejects this guy and Jesus finds him. I need you to know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some of you are like, man, my family rejected me. My spouse rejected me. My friends rejected me. My last church rejected me. My coworkers rejected me. Jesus said, I'll find you. I'm gonna come find you. This is what I love about Jesus. He finds those who are rejected, lonely, and outcast. Jesus finds this guy and Jesus is looking for you. That's the good news and the hope in the story. And having found him, he said, he asked him a question. Here's the bottom line. The whole story has been escalating and culminating to this grand conclusion. Do you believe in the son of man? That's the question that Jesus has for him and for you and for me and for us. This concept of son of man, it comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's written hundreds of times before. It is Jesus' most popular self-designation and title. He uses it regarding himself roughly 80 times if my memory is correct. And the son of man is God as a king entering into human history as a king to begin his kingdom. And what he's asking is, do you believe that I am your king? And do you believe that what you are experiencing is the result of my kingdom? Do you believe? This is the question. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He brings his questions to Jesus. The religious leaders in a moment will bring their accusations to Jesus. Don't bring your accusations to God, bring your questions. This man brings his question, who is the son of man? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. This man's experience, my friend, will be the experience for all of the children of God. That one day Jesus will return and the Bible says that we will see him face to face. And Jesus is going to ask you this same question. Do you believe that I am the son of man? The one whom you are looking at is the one that the scriptures were speaking of. 
Jesus said, you've seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. Did Jesus say he was God? Clearly, clearly. He said, Lord, that is the briefest confession that you can make as a Christian. Jesus is Lord. He is the one in charge. He is the king. He is the one I trust in. He is the one I long for. He is the one I hope in. He is the one I wait for. He is the one I bring my sin to. He is the one who heals me physically. He is the one who heals me spiritually. He is the one who comes and finds me. He is the one who prepares a place for me. That's exactly what he's saying. Lord, I what? Believe. This is what I want you to be able to say today. Jesus, I believe and you are my Lord and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, those who do not see may see, and those who see become blind. What he's saying is the religious leaders have closed their eyes to me. My dear friend, I love you. Don't close your eyes to Jesus. Open your eyes to Jesus. He is God, he is king, he is savior, he is deliverer, he is healer, he is reconciler, he is forgiver, he is leader. And he goes on to say, and those who may see become blind. He says, you, you blind beggar, your eyes have been opened physically and spiritually. Not only do you see me, but you trust me. Some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders near him, heard these things and they ask him, this is an accusation, not a question. Are we blind? Are we wrong? The answer is yes, yes. And that is the most loving thing that Jesus can say because God's desire is to bring you into relationship with Jesus and anything that is separating you from relationship with Jesus, Jesus needs to tell the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you have no guilt, but now you say, we see and your guilt remains. It really comes down to this. Those who believe in Jesus, those who do not believe in Jesus. Those who trust in Jesus, those who do not trust in Jesus. Those who close their eyes to Jesus and those who open their eyes to Jesus. And this is all the unveiling and the beginning and the revealing of the kingdom of God. So let me close with this. I'll ask you this question. Do you believe in the son of man? And I want you today to say, Lord, I believe, I believe. And if you believe, then what you do is exactly what he did. He goes on and I love, 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 love this. He worshiped him. The ancient Greek word there in the New Testament literally was used in secular literature when someone would come before the king. They would get down on their knees and they would bow in subjugation and they would kiss the feet of their king. Is Jesus demanding this from the man? Yes or no? No, but he is deserving of this from the man. The man does not do this out of fear. He does this out of faith. He doesn't do this because he is terrified of Jesus, but because he is absolutely in love with Jesus. And what he is showing and doing and saying and worshiping is you are Lord, you are the King. I am a citizen of the kingdom. This is the beginning of the unveiling of the kingdom. You need to know that when Jesus comes back, my friends, he will bring the kingdom of God with him and you will be raised from your death from death and from your grave if you believe in Jesus. 
The blind will receive sight. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. And the mute will sing the praises of God in the presence of Jesus forever and ever and ever. Sin will be no more. Suffering will be no more. Sickness will be no more. It will only and always and eternally and totally be Jesus. And worship is where we come into God's presence. It's where we surrender and submit ourselves to God's will. It's where we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and I believe. And by worshiping Jesus, we are preparing ourselves for his coming. When his feet once again hit this earth, we wanna be the people who are ready to kiss those feet, amen? That's what that word worship means. I kiss those feet. Lord Jesus, I pray for the people, these dear, wonderful people. God, some need physical healing. We ask for it in the name of Jesus. Lord, some of them spiritually need their, their faith increased, their spiritual eyes opened, their, their soul able to see and receive and savor Jesus. Not as a sinner, not as a prophet, but as Lord. Lord God, I pray for those here that they are not bad people, but they are broken people. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to minister to your people, to bring hope and help and healing through the strong name of Jesus in whose name we pray. And God, as we come to take communion, we remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus in our place for our sins. And as we open our hands to partake, we remind ourselves that Lord Jesus our relationship with you starts as beggar. We receive forgiveness. We receive life. We receive sight. We receive love when we receive Jesus. And God, as this family comes to worship, Lord Jesus, open our, open our hearts to love you. Open our minds to believe in you. Open our souls to trust in you. And Lord Jesus, some of us today, we need to get down on our knees. Some of us need to raise our hands in surrender. Some of us need to, by faith, sing until by sight we see you face to face. Jesus, please send the Spirit so that we might be in your presence as this man was. And as we come to worship you, the disposition of our hearts and our souls is on our knees kissing the feet of the one who has loved us so well until we see him again in Jesus' good name. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the Greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.